Good morning, church. Hey, there you are. Okay, good. I am honored to be with you and under these circumstances, uh, thankful that Obed and Elena have a safe trip back to uh, England and like you, miss them. We've been with them, Judy and I, from the beginning when they first started the church down the road in the other uh, location and uh, now they're in England. One of the things that I've learned is we work with 200 churches here in San Diego. We start about 10 church, brand new churches every year. So there's a lot of movement and partnership and funding and all the complications go with that. And one of the things we learned is there are no two churches alike. I mean, it's like snowflakes. They're all, the, all, they're all unique. They're all different. They're all wondrously created by a creative God who loves diversity so much that he made all of us look different. He made us speak different languages and like different foods and have different colors. And it's a, it's a, it's a wondrous thing about the creativity of God to be able to see all that. And so this morning, uh, my wife and I, in fact, Obed said, tell them a little bit about who you are. So very briefly, Judy and I, uh, along once upon a time, a long time ago, <laughs> we met on a college campus in Kentucky and, uh, I saw her first and I said to my soul, yes, this is, this is a woman. I've got one that keeps hanging down, but I can't pull it out because there's so few of them. So I can't do that. <laughs> and so I said, yes, this is a woman I need to get to know. And we did over the course of our freshman year in college. She grew up on a, her dad was a dairy farmer in Kentucky. My dad was a construction man in Cincinnati, Ohio. We met, we got married a year later, our sophomore year, started our family the third year. And I opted out to go into business and she continued on to get her degree in teaching biology and, and English. So uh, we finished up and started going into the cable television business, which moved us all over the world, literally, uh, Texas, Nebraska, California, and so forth, before God reminded us that when we first met, he called us to do ministry. And we sort of lost our way. I mean, the business is very enticing and compelling and rewarding financially, so... I was going across the country building cable television systems while Judy was home with our, with our young children. So that's kind of our story. In the meantime, all that, I've been pastor of a church up in Orange County for years. I've served as vice president of a mission board in Atlanta, and then came back here in 06 to lead what we call Vision San Diego, and now I'm the director of missions for our churches here in San Diego. So it's an honor for me to be with you, to share a little bit about us, uh, but before I get started, I want to tell you how proud I am of you. Um, you have weathered storms already. The, the, every, every new church does, but in different ways. In fact, Pastor Obed and Elena, uh, we've been with them. We've prayed with them. We've cried with them. We've wondered what on earth is God doing? And uh, what I'm learning about God's leadership is this. It seems to me that there's a pattern. And the pattern is when God starts something new, there's sort of a birth of a vision. And there's excitement and there's joy. And then there's things happen. And there's almost like a death of a vision. And then over time, there is a resurrection. The vision is renewed and it's bigger and greater, not necessarily numerically, but in terms of spiritually. God somehow gets our attention because when we start something, we get, we, we get so full of ourselves. And I don't mean that to be criti uh, criti critically at all. We just get so full of ourselves, but... Um, 
Sometimes God has to just kind of let the vision die for it to be reborn. And I really believe that's what's going on here. It happened to Abraham. When Abraham was uh, like 80 years old, an angel appeared. The voice of God spoke to him and said, Abraham, you're going to have a son. And, and your children are going to be like the sands of the sea and the stars of the sky. And he said, uh, excuse me, um, I'm an old guy. My wife is 80 years old. I think he was 90, 90 at the time. Um, you know, and his wife laughed. Sarah laughed. This is ridiculous. You know, a woman of my age having, he said, so she said, take a Hagar, our handmaid, into yourself and see, because my womb is closed. So he did. He took Hagar, the Egyptian handmaid, to Sarah. And he had a, a son called um, Ishmael. And uh, Abraham um, and Isaac, I mean Esau. Esau. Was it Esau? Isaac. Well, I know he had Isaac. And Jacob and Esau, Isaac and Ishmael. So the, the whole process started um, with Abraham taking things into his own hands. And he tried to help pour God out because God didn't know what he was doing and he thought he would have a son. Later on, when God said, take your son, your only son, and follow me. I'll, I'll tell you later what we're gonna do. So he did. And he took Isaac up on a hill and God, the angel said, now sacrifice your son, which is just crazy. I mean, none of us would think that ever would happen. And it was testing his obedience. And so what happened? He did that. And before he could take any action like that, God provided the ram in the thicket. So there was a birth of a vision, a death of a vision. And then when, when Isaac was born, um, his, the son of promise was there. The same thing happened to Moses. You know, Moses learned early on that he was... Uh, he was second in sort of command and he was, a, he was a son of an Egyptian pharaoh when he really wasn't. He was a son of a, of a Hebrew woman. He found out 40 years later who he was. He killed an Egyptian, buried him in the sand thinking, I'll take life in, in my own hands. And then he ran away in 40 years in the Midian desert. And then later on, God raised him up to lead Israel out of bondage into the promised land. So this, this is a pattern we see even in Christ himself. Here's the savior who comes to, to give life to us. And in the process, there's this great vision. And all of Israel said, we're going to destroy Rome. We're going to take over politically. That's not what God had at all. And Jesus ended up going through death, but then the resurrection came. So here's what I'm telling you. This process that you're in right now may be the greatest thing God is going to do for this church. You say, how do you know that? Look what happened in China. When Dr. Culpepper and Miss Bertha Smith, who we know, knew back then, they're both uh, passed away now. They were kicked out of China as the earliest missionaries. And when they left, the word, the, the church in China exploded in the homes of people. The fastest movement of God right now is where? In Iran. There's more things happening in Iran. You don't hear about any of this. But when there is an absence of leadership for a short period of time, God says, I want to see what my church has got in them. That's you. You are the body of Christ. And this is the time for the body of Christ to be raised up to say, God, what are my gifts? How can I sow uh, my talents and my abilities and, and my funds into this church so that it could change Pacific Beach? We have a story to tell. And you're part of that story. So congratulations. Being part of the birth of a vision, the death of a vision, but resurrection's coming. Um, 
there's a sermon preached by a famous black preacher who said, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming, meaning Jesus was in the tomb and he was cold. And then three days later, he was resurrected. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And so the Sunday's coming here to King's Cross. So I want to open the Bible and show you some things that I'm learning about weathering the storms of life from God's word. Matthew chapter seven, we're gonna start in verse 24, a very familiar story. And um, I think you probably would agree, none of us escape life's storms. Would you agree with that? Shake your head if you agree. All right, good. Let me say it again. Do you agree with that? Okay, I just wanna be sure we're together. No one escapes life's storms, not pastors, not the rich, not the poor, nor the well-educated or the not so well-educated. Where you're born makes no difference, nor does your political preference. Neither does your religious preference, whether you were born with religion, no religion. No one escapes life's storms. Why? Because the Bible tells us we live in a broken world. Now, that's no surprise for most of you that we're born into a self-seeking, sinful journey, and all of us need a second chance and a clear purpose. This is an amazing week when uh, the word from Kobe Bryant's death uh, took over the news cycle for the entire week. It sort of captured all of our uh, thoughts and, and sadness prevailed to think, here's a man who was a, a champion of champions. He was a father. He was a great image. Why on earth would something like this happen to a man who seemed to be doing everything right? And the answer is the world we live in is a broken world. And at times it is not safe and bad things happen to good people. And we're living in a world that's not heaven now. Heaven, this doesn't exist. On earth, on earth, it does. And so that's why the gospel is so powerful. Our life is not rooted in this world. Our life is rooted in the fact that there is a resurrected Savior. There is a heaven. There is a hell. And there is a judgment. And you say, well, I don't believe in hell. Well, I'm sorry. That doesn't change, change the temperature one degree. The Bible teaches these things to be true. And I, I believe they are true. Apologetics is one of my things. I won't get off on that. But I'm just telling you that when, when, when you enter into the kingdom of God, you have an eternal perspective on life and a world that's securely fastened to itself. And everything about the rewards and success of this world has to do with my money, my house, my position, my status, my education. And I'm telling you, that's not God's purpose. That's not God's plan for any of us. You say, how do I know? Well, let me just tell you one quick story before we get into it. When Judy and I lived in Florida years ago, I was uh, leading a ministry called Evangelism Explosion, and it teaches uh, pastors and churches how to, how to equip their people to share their faith unoffensively and with the tools and the scripture to do that. While we were there, we met a young couple, Jack and Lois Malday. Now here, if there was ever a perfect example of kind of what all of us dream about being in life, she was beautiful. They had two little girl, beautiful girls. He was like the Adonis, literally. I mean, he looked like a Greek god. He had sort of curly hair. He was about 40 years old. He was physically fit, suntan. I mean, he, he really was handsome. And we had, we had dinner in their home one night and we were so impressed. I said, Jack, why do you and Lois really want out of life? He said, well, let me tell you. I'm in the insurance business and I've done so well that we have enough money to retire now. I said, really? They lived on a canal there in beautiful Fort Lauderdale. And I said, you're gonna retire now. What are you gonna do? He said, we are gonna go around the world and work with churches. We believe God's called us to be able to help pastors and churches worldwide do evangelism. And I said, that is amazing. 
Now, it wasn't long after that. In fact, it was December 15th in the late 1979, the tragedy struck. And uh, Jack always wanted to take a hot air balloon ride. And so Lois, on Christmas uh, in December, December 15th, she arranged for he and three of his friends to enter, get on a hot air balloon and rise up above the landscape of Fort Lauderdale as they were sort of sailing along. They were singing to, down below to people who could, who could hear them, we wish you a Merry Christmas and so forth, Christmas carols. People were laughing and so forth. And the pilot, the woman pilot, got so caught up in the whole experience, she didn't pay attention to where she was headed and she got too close to power lines. And when she did, there was a big arc zapped their gondola, which is this wooden wicker basket, and it immediately caught on fire. Now, they're up about 1,000 feet in the air, 500 to 1,000 feet. And so when the wicker basket started catching on fire, it started rising more. And so the three other men jumped out, and Jack hung on, trying to think maybe there's something he could do, and eventually he jumped out, on a, and he landed on a um, golf course there in Fort Lauderdale. And Lois and the girls are following him in a convertible. And they realized what just happened. They got out of the convertible. They ran over to where his mangled body lay and, and wept and wept and wept. And she gathered her girls together. And the story, I'm going to fast forward right now because she was asked by her pastor in Fort Lauderdale at, um, at a Presbyterian church. She said, he said, would you be willing to share how you're dealing with this storm in your life. And she said, yes, I'll be glad to. So he asked her to come to the pulpit and she began to share. And she said, you know, when Jack and I were together, we planned to go into all the world and help churches. And uh, based on one scripture, and the scripture is this, for me to live is Christ, but to die, you know the verse, is gain. Say it with me. For me to live is Christ, but the guy is gain. For me to live was not my husband. As much as I miss him and I mourn for him, for me to live is not our bank account. For me to live is not our money that we put away to retire early. For me to live is not a car or a home. For me to live is not on my two beautiful girls. As much as I love them, as much as any of you love your kids, for me to live is Christ because my life doesn't end here. I'm gonna see Jack again. And if it were reversed, Jack would be doing what we plan to do. He would be doing what I'm going to do. We plan this out. I'm not, I'm not going to stop. And there was a Jewish uh, reporter from the Fort Lauderdale News there. And he talked to her later. He said, Mrs. Malday, I don't understand. How can, you, how can you deal with this kind of loss? She said, did you not hear what I said? It hurts me. I'm dealing with the loss. It's very, very painful. But for me to live is Christ. So I'm going to give you a little congregational test in a minute, but we're going to read Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27. Jesus tells a simple story, and this story is an analogy, like so many of his stories of life. He talks about a building. He talks about a house. He describes two types of foundations, sand or rock, and he shows the difference that the foundation makes when storms come. Now, before I read it, let me give you this test. Foundation of sand, good or bad? Bad. Foundation of rock, good or bad? Good. Okay, you've already passed the test. Here we go. Everyone then, Matthew 7, verse 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. You need to underline that. It did not fall because it had been founded on the rock and everyone who hears these words of mine and does them and does not do them 
will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell from the, from the top. The floods came from the bottom. The winds blew from all uh, through the sides and beat against the house and it fell. You want to underline this. And great was the fall of it. Great was the fall of it. So he's talking about three things here. I'm going to go through them pretty quickly. So if you want to just kind of take notes in your Bible, please feel free to. First, what I'm calling a strong building, a strong building. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, not just hears them, does them, will be like, here's the analogy, a wise man who built his house on the rock. Judy and I were in Ireland a few years ago, and we're in a pub having lunch and uh, it was a crowded group there. And so the guy next to me on a stool was an Irish builder. We got to talking to each other. And he said, where are you from? I said, California. He said, California. I've got a cousin there, Joe Maloney. Do you know him? I said, well, there's 40, other, 40 million other people in California. So I probably don't know your cousin. I said, what do you do? He said, I'm a builder. I said, well, listen, I've noticed when you build, your houses here in Ireland are old, really old, but they're still there. You know, we stayed in a place that was 300 years old. It was rocks and they had a slate roof on it. I said, how do you build houses that last so long? He said, well, I've been to California. I know how you build houses. We don't build them that way. We don't pour a slab on, on dirt or sand or whatever. We, we drill down till we hit bedrock and we pour concrete down so the house is attached to rock. And he said, that's probably why our houses last so long. In Matthew chapter 16, in another story, another analogy, Jesus was confronted um, by his disciples and uh, they asked him uh, some questions and then he asked them a question. And he said to them, who do people say that I am? And like today, people have an opinion about Christ. Some of them said, well, you're, you're the Elijah the prophet. Some say you're John the Baptist that's been resurrected. <laughs> Some say you're this or that. And then he said to them what he says to every one of us. He looked at his apostles, his disciples, and he said, who do you say that I am? And it was Peter who piped up. And Peter said, thou art the, in Hebrew, the Yeshua HaMashiach. You are the anointed one of God. You are the one that God has sent to us to show us the way. And then Jesus said an amazing thing. He said, blessed are you, Simon, uh, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my father, which is in heaven. This is a divine revelation. You understand why I'm here. You get it, Peter. You get it. And because of your confession of faith in me, blessed are thou, Simon, son of John. And he said, because you've put your faith in me, whatever you... Um, blessed on earth will be blessed in heaven and what of you condemn on earth will be good and, and, and then he went on to say upon this rock I will build my church what did he mean they were standing in a very rocky place we've been to Israel several times and this was in Caesarea and it's just a big rocky area he was saying, now, there are some churches who's taken that to say that Peter became the first pope. Now, while I don't agree with that, I certainly give them the right to have their interpretation because here's what happened. Jesus said, Peter, who, who am I? Thou art the Christ, the son of God. Jesus said that upon this rock. Now, Peter is a word for a little small pebble. And he said, upon this rock. And he used a different inflection on the word. Upon this great stone. Upon your confession of faith in me, upon this rock. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And uh, 
That hasn't changed. That hasn't changed. I will build my church, and you are that. And so what's going to happen in the next 12 months? Or maybe sooner, if God sends the Obeds back, um, the Briefos back here. <laughs> Obeds. Well, the name like Obed Briefo, you know, sometimes you which is the first and which is the last. I don't know. The Briefos back. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall. Now, the next thing I want you to see is what I call not a strong building, but a stormy blast. And that's where we are right now, here, now, in this church. Stormy blast. Notice something. Both houses face storms. Rain, floods, and the wind. Rain from the top, floods from the bottom. In other words, they were being just wiped out with weather. That was a storm. That, that was the analogy. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. June 19th, two and a half years ago, Judy and I were at home on a Wednesday night. I believe it was a Wednesday night. Judy got a phone call. Our daughter-in-law, um, our oldest son is Chinese. Her name's Ling Fei. And uh, she called and Judy answered the phone and I noticed Judy is instantly in turmoil. And she was saying, what, what? And I could hear Ling Fei and very loudly saying something on the other end. So I asked Judy for the phone. She gave it to me and, and uh, she said, dead. Craig, dad, Craig, dad. I thought she was saying, Craig, dad. She said, Craig's dead. Our oldest son was on his, uh, on his way home on his motorcycle and went head on with a truck. And uh, when that happened to us, it was just like, you, you can't describe it. You're not supposed to outlive your children, number one. Number two, the, the pain, the sense of loss, the shock of that moment was so, I said, who's there with you? She said, well, the sheriff's here and the coroner's here. And I said, well, put the sheriff on the phone. I talked to him. I said, sir, what happened? He told me what happened. I said, um, I'm devastated. My wife's devastated. We're on a plane, first thing, to Boise, Idaho, where they lived. Um, we just couldn't believe that this was real. Last year, on June 19th, uh, my sweet, loving, 99-year-old mother went to be with the Lord. And so we understand what loss is. In fact, did you know that 90% of the counseling in our lives is around separation and loss and attachment. Those three things consume us because we don't know what to do with them when they happen. Why? Because it's unexpected. We have little warning for the storms of our life. Uh, we, it's, they're disorienting. Our decision-making gets whacked. I couldn't think clearly when I got that phone call. And I still, if I stay on this too long, I'll not be able to finish. But it's disruptive. It's devastating. Judy grew up on a dairy farm out in the country about 15 miles from town. When after we, they've had three homes to burn down. Not one, not two. Three times her parents had to buy new furniture, had to refurnish the house. We had to get clothes for the family. And they all had to live in separate places while that was happening. We understand stormy blast. And here's the good news. I want to get to it quickly because it's important. The third thing I want you to see is what I call steadfast blessings. Not just a stormy blast, uh, but steadfast blessings. 
If built on the rock, the Bible's saying your faith, your church will stand. So faith that is not tested is faith that can't be trusted. Now, God doesn't cause bad things to happen, so don't get that wrong. The book of Job tells us all about that. He said, whosoever hears these words of mine, and you need to put in yellow if you have a marker or circle it, does them and does them is like a wise man that builds his house upon the rock. Notice the analogy. Jesus is saying that a wise person is one who hears, but not just hears, he acts. The Bible says that the demons believe in Jesus, but they're not gonna be in heaven. So it's not about believing in something, it's about acting. It's about putting your weight and your faith and your trust on something that's true. So Jesus is not saying just hearing alone. What he is saying is a wise person does them, acts upon them. And the scripture in Romans 10, 13, I love this verse. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In other words, God has a plan B for every one of us. He came not to condemn the world, the Bible says, but to save the world, which means the world needs saving, amen? The world needs saving. Now, you, all you gotta do is look around and see that's, that's true. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and it beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Say, did not fall. Did not fall. Why do some people fall? Why do some people fold up? Why do some people just cave in? Why are some people just blown away? Why does that happen? I'll tell you why. They built their lives on the sand, their own ideas, what's in it for me, worldly wisdom, things that do not last. Lois Malde understood that. And when the worst thing happened in her life, she didn't fold up. Now, we pray those things don't happen in our life. But when we build our life on the shifting sands of good intention and the silt and the muck of all the things that are religious activities, it will not last. Listen, the only really real foundation for life is the resurrected Christ. God's number one purpose in your life is for you to follow Christ and make disciples who make disciples. In fact, make disciples who make disciple makers. That's really God's intention. Everything in life makes more sense when you understand its purpose. Now, as a pastor for years, I've had people, the most common question I think that I ever got was, how do I find out what God's purpose is for my life? I mean, I've got these talents and so forth. How do I know what God wants me to do? And I always had the same answer. Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Jesus put it in writing. He said, go into all the world and make disciples. That doesn't mean you have to be a preacher. In fact, it's better if you're not. Because most, uh, most people who don't have some kind of religious title are listened to far more than people who have religious titles who people know where they're coming from. They know what they're gonna say. But they don't know about ordinary people. Becoming a Christian does not mean we will not experience problems. While God hates evil, the Bible declares he will not bring harm into our life. He can take the bad things in life and bring good out of them. Every problem has a purpose. Read James chapter one. It's to conform our character. The process in the Bible is called sanctification. We know that God works all things together for good, Romans says. 
For those who love God, and I follow this, love God and are called according to his purpose. What's the purpose? To go and make disciples. If you're a parent, you're making disciples every day with your children. You are making disciples. What kind are you making? If you have a job and you go to work every day, you are making disciples. People are watching you. They're seeing, if you've identified your life with faith in Christ, they're watching you. You're making disciples. If you're a teacher in the classroom, and you've identified your life as a Christian, people are watching you. You are making disciples. God wants us to get good at it. Now, this verse has a couple, a couple of double meanings. Called according to their purpose. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. Now, um, I like to eat, as you obviously can tell. And Judy is a really good cook. She grew up on a farm, and the first meal after we got married was... Um, Unbelievable. She had fried chicken and mashed potatoes and gravy and biscuits and green beans. And I know, uh, she had this banquet meal. And I, said, I walked in and I said, hey, who's coming? She said, nobody. I said, what do we do with all that? She said, it's just for me and you. I said, really? I mean, that's impossible. She said, I don't know how to cook differently than that. We had like 15 to 20 people at our house all the time and we raised our own beef and raised our own hogs and we raised our own corn and we, we, this is the way we always cooked. So she said, I don't know how to do it yet, differently. And so uh, my mother was an excellent baker, candies, cookies, you name it, she did all that. So she taught Judy, who kind of mentored her, um, how to do that. So Judy now is a good baker too. So uh, I... Uh, I'm a little impatient in my life. So Judy's gonna bake a cake one day. And, and I said to her, uh, I don't really have time for you to bake the cake. Just lay the ingredients out here and let me just eat them. And so she had the flour and the sugar and the vanilla, the salt and um, all the other stuff that goes into baking a good cake. And so I went over and grabbed some of the flour, put it in my mouth and man, that is terrible. That's dry and dusty. And so then I took the vanilla. Oh, that really, that smells great. I took a teaspoon. Oh man, that's bitter. That's quinine. That's terrible. And then uh, I went over to uh, baking soda, a little bit of that. Oh my gosh, that's terrible. And I got a teaspoon full of sugar. Said, yeah, that's good. I, that's good. That's a good piece. I like that. <laughs> and so she had all these things laying out. The point is all those things by themselves weren't good. But then she took those, and then in spite of my little story, she mixed them all up and put them in a bowl and put it in the pan, put it in the oven, and it came out, and she, she iced that cake and so forth. And I got a slice of that with a good cup of coffee and a glass of cold chocolate milk, and I was in hog heaven. Now, how is it that something so bad could turn out to be so good? You all probably know the story of Joseph in the Bible. He was a favorite son of Jacob, um, and his brothers lied against him. Fast forward, they were on this journey. They took him in his coat of many colors. They put him in a, in a well and uh, put some blood on his coat and took him back to his father, said, Joseph must have been killed by an animal because obviously he's not with us. And so they lied about it. So he was picked up by some traveling uh, uh, Bedouins and took him to Egypt where he became uh, second in command and a Potiphar, a general's house, and he sort of had to rule the house. His wife lied on him, said he tried to rape her. He didn't, and uh, they put him in jail. And jail had become second command of the jail. He was running the prison. 
And he had a couple of people who he helped get out and said, remember me, you know, tell somebody I'm here. And they didn't, they, they, didn't, they didn't do that. Ended up, he was second in command of all of Egypt. And so because they had a big famine in the land, because of the famine, Israel had to come to Egypt in order to get food. So here it is, really fast forwarding this now. So his brothers uh, come to Egypt. Now he looks like an Egyptian, he speaks an Egyptian. They don't recognize Joseph as their brother. And he says to them, what do you want? And they said, we need food and so forth. And so, I mean, a lot of things happened. But what happened later is they came back a second time. Joseph this time revealed himself to them. And they were shocked. They said, uh-oh, we are in trouble. We tried to kill him. Now he's second to command. We are dead meat. And uh, they were afraid. And he went into a room next door, and the, and the Bible declares in Genesis chapter 50, he wept so loud that the servants were concerned about it. Now, he was number two in Egypt. He came back in, wiped the tears, and he said, I'm Joseph, your brother. And here's what he said. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. That's called theological reflection. God uses these stories and these things in the Bible that are true to somehow Teach us how to live our life. In a moment, in a couple of moments, I'm, we're going to have a little question just for you to think about what you've heard. And this is called theological reflection. What does this mean? What have we heard? And so forth. Obed asked me to do this. So Apostle Paul understood trouble in 2 Corinthians 4. In the New Living Translation, verse 17 and 18, he said, our present troubles are quite small and won't last very long. Yet, they produce for us an immeasurable great glory that will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see right now. Rather, we look forward to what we have not yet seen. For the troubles we see will soon be over. But the joys to come will last forever. It's like going through surgery. You know, when I've had I had a knee, knee operation replacement, and uh, I think, oh man, that's going to hurt. I, I, I looked at the video; shouldn't have done that. Looked at the video, how they do that, and not a good idea. I do not recommend you do that before you get a major surgery. I came out of that, and I projected. I said, but you know what? I'm going to have a new knee, and that the, the because I'll be pain free at some point. I'm okay with that. I'm good. But you know what? Meditation is just as important as medication. I found. 1 Corinthians 3, I'm going to wrap it up with this. According to the grace of God, Paul said, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. Verse 11, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11, for no one can lay a foundation, listen to this, other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the rock. In fact, every place you look in the New Testament, the rock refers to Christ, not someone else. Jesus is the rock. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, whatever it may be, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Do you know the fires of life keep coming at us in this world? And it tests us. It tests what we're made of. It tests what we're building a life on. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. We all have storm stories. What storms do you face? 
besides here as a church? Do you have a foundation that is solid? One of my favorite songs growing up is the old traditional song, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand. Listen to the words. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ, my righteousness. Not my righteousness. It's called the doctrine of, of um, imputation, where my sins are imputed to Christ. Christ's righteousness is imputed to me. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. I have a new favorite song. After our son, Craig, um, passed away, I heard this contemporary song called, called The Eye of the Storm. Uh, we've got a video of it. It's got sound to it. So if you could kind of bring that up. Would you just let this be kind of a, a moment of reflection? When the solid ground is falling out from underneath my feet. Between the black skies and my red eyes, I can barely see. And when I'm feeling like I've been let down by my friends and my family, I can hear the rain reminding me. In the eye of the storm, you remain in control. In the middle of the war, you guard my soul. You alone are the surrounds me in the eye of the storm mm-hmm. when my hopes and dreams are far from me and I'm running out of faith I see the future I picture slowly fade away and when the tears of pain and heartache are pouring down my face I find my peace in Jesus in the eye of the storm, you remain in control. In the middle of the war, you guard my soul. You alone are the anchor when my sails are torn. Your love surrounds me. And I just don't know how I'm gonna make ends meet I did my best, now I'm scared to death That we might lose everything And when a sickness takes my child away And there's nothing I can do My only hope is to trust you I trust you, Lord In the eye of the storm Surrounds 
Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So I'm asking you to act on what you just heard. Not from me, but from the scripture. John 15, 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So it's time to reflect. Our worship team's gonna come and uh, lead in the little worship background while, would you take a moment, I'm gonna ask you three questions. Think about this. If you have a pencil and you wanna write down, because God, God loves to speak in quietness. I, I don't know about you, it's hard to hear the voice of God when there's so much noise of the world around, but right now it's a quiet moment. And I am confident that God wants to speak more to you now than what you heard me say. How is God using the storm here at King's Cross to strengthen this church? Just think about that. If you want to just kind of talk amongst yourself and with each other, that'd be fine too. How is God using the storm here at the church because of Obed's immigration status? He'll be back soon. Second question, how can this strengthen you as a follower of Christ? At this time now, it's gonna call you out this is your church. This is you. This is the body of Christ. And how can this strengthen Pastor Obed and his family? So while our worship team does this, Lord, I'm asking you in the name of Jesus to take what we've heard. Don't let us be forgetful hearers. Do not let the enemy snatch away from our heart because of the Super Bowl activities and all that's going on in this amazing day. But we're here quietly before you. Help us like Joseph to hear beyond hearing, to hear your quiet, still voice speak to our hearts. How is this working for this church? How is this working for me? How is this working for Pastor Elena and their family? In Jesus' name. Now just share among yourself quietly. Quietly.